Welcome to Be Simply. This is she, and I want to thank you for joining us today. We have special guest Ananata Ripa Ajamera. She is the author of The Ayurveda Way, 108 Practices from the World's Oldest Healing System of Better Sleep, Less Stress, Optimal Digestion, and More. Today, she's going to share her wisdom, her journey, and how to bring aspects of yourself into balance by employing some simple practices. So without further ado, let's dive in with Anatta. Anatta, I would like to thank you for being here today. I'm really excited to shine a light on your new book, The Ayurveda Way. If you can share uh, with the listener, you know, the inspiration behind this book would be a great place for us to dive in. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Suzanne. I think the inspiration for this book was really the transformation that I've been so fortunate to experience with Ayurveda. I had suffered from years and years of eating disorders and chronic insomnia, lots of inexplicable aches and pains in my body and digestive disturbances and a lot of stress. So the experience of encountering Ayurveda and having all of these health challenges just vanish within, you know, a few weeks was really what, what inspired me. But the request for the book actually came from an editor who had been really interested in Ayurveda, and she felt really confused by all the other books she had read on the subject. So she had read some of my articles online and then reached out to me asking if I would be interested to write this book. Mm. Well, I'm glad she did that. You've done a beautiful job uh, really simply putting out a, a complex system, which can be overwhelming. Uh, so if we can share when, we, when someone first meets Ayurveda, if you can share with the listeners how, aside from your book, if you can share with the listeners how they might embrace receiving the information of Ayurveda, that it can be overwhelming because of the complexity of it, as, as you talked about, even about Chinese medicine, uh, maybe being inspired from Ayurveda. If you can just share with the listeners that they're going to meet your book, there's a lot of information there simply laid out and how you were able to simply engage with Ayurveda so it didn't overwhelm you uh, initially. Yeah, I think the book is laid out in terms of practices, healing your body, strengthening your mind, Creating your spirit and then putting it all together with daily and seasonal practices. For me, I think the the key for being able to really utilize the practices is to take it a step at a time. So I started actually in the freeing your spirit section when I first began my journey with Ayurveda. It was so important to me to be able to connect with those practices that really connected me with who I am, which reminded me that I'm not any of these labels that have been put on me by society or 
you know, the the online chat rooms that I was looking at or forums or books and things, you know, I didn't have to label myself as being anorexic or anxious or stressed or any of these things. It was really, you know, freeing, I think, to connect with what my teacher, Acharya Shunya, says, that health is our birthright and it's our true state of being. That was so paradigm-shifting for me, and I think that was really the inspiration for me to want to change and to believe that I could was by connecting with my own self. So every morning I would start the day by looking at my hands and affirming that creativity, abundance, knowledge, and the power to really change my life lies right here in my own hands. And in doing so, to really like let go of the need to want to control everything and to try to surrender more to something higher than myself, something bigger than myself. And I think that was really such an empowering practice that, you know, by connecting with my own hands, I was able to start to feel my own power. And then once I had really done that and some of the other things I've shared in Chapter 7 of my book about inspired ancient practices for your morning, then I started to go into the beginning parts of the book to start making changes to my diet and to my lifestyle and incorporating, you know, the daily and seasonal routines as well. So my suggestion always is for people who are looking to start on this path and start to really change their lives to small and really contemplate the practice that speaks to you the most as you're reading this book. I actually made that a practice in and of itself to set what we call a sankalpa. That's a mindful resolution or intention. It's different than what we do with our New Year's resolutions, where it's really easy to be like, okay, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to exercise mm. more, all these things, which then just like naturally fall to the wayside by February 1st, right? So right. with the sankalpa, you want to really like contemplate it and see what you want to do, what's realistic for you, what you feel you can commit to, and then really go slow with just that one thing. And, you know, it's like your life is a work of art, so you have this opportunity to create what you wish. And I always, always tell people to savor each step of the journey of changing your life. Don't feel like you have to do it all at once. Just start wherever you are with whatever feels most comfortable to you, and as you start to experience all the benefits of what you're doing, you'll really enjoy it. And I think that enjoyment, that enthusiasm, and that motivation that comes from seeing change happen will then naturally motivate you to want to do more. That's definitely what happened for me. Mm, beautifully and said. With my students as well. Wonderful. And if you can share a little bit for the listeners about, uh, I like how you said, freeing yourself of the labels and going through maybe treatment in a Western approach with things like anxiety, stress, and eating disorder, and where you felt that freedom occurred when you did X, Y, and Z. You can fill in the blanks for the listeners, but uh, how that process happened and how it was so freeing for you. Yeah, you know, I think waking up early really helped me to to gain that freedom. 
Waking up early and greeting the sun have been also really important practices for me, which I have shared in the book. I learned this from my teacher. She had said, you know, if there's one thing to, that you can do to really counteract stress and to, you know, free yourself from, from all the judgments and all the labels and all the stories we may have told, it's to wake up early and see the sun as your own self. You know, the sun is a symbol of so many powerful things. It's a symbol of health in Ayurveda because we follow the cycles of the sun in our daily and our seasonal routines. The sun is the giver of light. So it's also a representative of wisdom and inner power, willpower, strength. The sun shines on everyone, right? So in that sense, it's a great teacher that if we're looking for more, say, love in our lives, that we want to be giving love, you know, and we want to be giving that unconditionally. So regardless of, of anything, the sun just shines because that's its nature. And so we learn, you know, from the sun to really embrace our expanded self, our biggest self and our greatest potential. And I think, you know, doing that was extremely helpful for me in the Teachings of Ayurveda psychology, we also learn that there's three layers of the mind, which are called sattva, rajas, and tamas. And the tamas layer of the mind is like the darkest state. That's where we feel dark, we feel depressed, we feel like, you know, unconscious. So it's easy to repeat habits and patterns that don't serve us and that we know don't serve us, but it's like we're stuck, you know. We know better, but we don't do better. So, you know, that's one level of the mind. And then the next level of the mind is called rajas. And rajas is activating. It's passionate. It's moving. It's like the go-getter energy to be productive, get things done, and be on top of everything. It's a really good thing to have to counteract the force of inertia and tamas because it gets us up and gets us moving, which we need. But for most of us, we just go back and forth between rajas and tamas throughout our lives. We never, you know, really get to experience anything beyond that. And what happens when you keep on moving, moving, moving is that you soon burn out. And so the rajas naturally feeds into tamas. So in Ayurveda psychology, we learn that there's a third level of the mind, a third quality of the mind, which is called sattva, and it comes from the root word sat, which means truth. So the true nature of the mind, the sages have told us, is to actually be clear, balanced, focused, joyful, peaceful, and all these characteristics and, and intangible things that we're looking for from the activities that may not be giving us pleasure. And what's really interesting about these three qualities of sattva, rajas, and samas is that they're inherent in nature, in all particles of nature. They vibrate at one of these kind of qualities, you know, and we also have that same kind of quality of, of vibrating with these different layers because of the, the interconnectedness between the microcosm, our individual mind and body, and the macrocosm, which is like the, the universe or the world around us. And the sages have also discovered that at certain times of the day, certain ones of these qualities are more active than others. So in the early morning period, between 4 to 6 in the morning, they say that sattva is most dominant in the entire universe. So when we wake up by six, we get blessed 
by all these really positive vibrations. And we have the opportunity to see and welcome that sun into the, the day and into our heart. And I think in doing that, it's such a potent reminder of, you know, the, the darkness moving into light, that the darkness that we may feel or experience at times, especially times like these, is just passing, it's temporary. The light is really the only truth. And as we see that light coming up, we have an opportunity to stop. Hmm. And so within that practice, was that where you had the surrender, you know, of, of the stress, anxiety, the things that might have been feeding into the eating disorder and other things that were uh, present in your mind, body, and spirit? Definitely. It was definitely a big help. And it is active in the universe. And so it was also very helpful for um, digestion. And digestion is seen by elimination. So when we eliminate, you know, early in the morning, that has a wonderful effect on our health because digestion, as seen by the elimination, is really the key to health. So not only did it have a mental and psychological benefit, but then at a physiological level, my digestion really improved by doing this. And then my whole health improved. So it was really like a one practice that had benefits on so many different levels. And yeah, so I think doing that, waking up, seeing the sun, understanding that the sun, you know, lives within me was extremely beneficial. I think also just surrounding my mind more with knowledge so really, you know, continually trying to get these affirmations and be close to things that resonated with me. So I had been taking a course with my teacher, and when I wasn't in class, I would read through my notes, and I would write in my journal and try to really stay close to the knowledge. So that's also very helpful to do for really, you know, bringing about a paradigm shift and really being able to transcend all of these uh, other, you know, tendencies that we might have from influences in our surroundings as well. Mm. Absolutely. And so those influences, you said earlier uh, that your teacher shared that health is our true state of being, that, you know, we're whole. However, in uh, Western, quote-unquote, Western culture, <laughs> I'll just leave it as labeled as that, um, Oftentimes, it's just reactive. Sometimes it's needed if you're thinking to have that medicine or, or way of being treated to get you out of a dangerous situation. But aside from that, if we move out of that paradigm and remember that health is our true state of being, what, to, what did you realize in that moment when you made that shift that you could live a proactive lifestyle that would enable you to access this on a daily basis. If you can share a little bit with the listeners, maybe as if there were any times where you were like still wanting to grasp for that old way of doing things that you were taught or trained or naturally sought out and going back to something that's, you know, ingrained in our ancestors energy that's passed on to us here and now. That's a great question. It's hard to honestly tell a single moment when that shift happened. I think it's a gradual process. It's really an unfolding. And I think an important thing to understand about Ayurveda is that it's also an art of living. We get to be our own artists. 
and sometimes, you know, if we're drawing with pencil, we might want to erase something, you know, and start over again. So right. I think that's also the invitation with Ayurveda that, you know, even still, like, there are all these micro choices that have to be made, and sometimes I may not even make the, the best choice. Can you share a little bit about that process of potentially being compassionate with self, forgiving self, uh, that surrender that occurs when we can stop, you know, punishing ourselves for maybe our past actions or making a choice in a moment that it's okay, we can do better tomorrow in the next moment. Yeah, yeah, and I think there again, the thing called the, the intention becomes really important even writing down our intention, revisiting it, and, yeah, re- just recommitting ourselves to it is, is really helpful. And I would say also, Suzanne, that it's really important to understand that there's a difference between shame and guilt. So we want to free ourselves from the shackles of shame. It's one of the practices I've written about in my book. And it's so important because, you know, it's, it's really easy to beat ourselves up for not following through on the things that we wanted to do. And so we want to make sure not to do that. You know, we don't want to tell ourselves that we're bad or broken or unworthy. We want to, you know, stop believing in these lies. That's all shame. Guilt, on the other hand, is it's like a remorse for something where you've actually done. And I think it can actually be kind of constructive. It can be helpful to make behavioral shifts. So, you know, it's, it's an awareness practice, too, that whenever we go against our own wisdom, it's a, a root cause of many diseases and imbalances, where it's, it's called pragya aparada, which means to go against aparada, your own wisdom, which is pragya. And so if we can really think of, of something that is dragging us down, where we keep on making mistakes, even though we know better, it's a really good to seeing, you know, what's underneath that and kind of digging deeper because that, that is one of the things that makes Ayurveda different is how deep we actually dig into things to find the root cause. And for me, actually, to be honest, it took me a while to apply all the practices in my book. I had been studying Ayurveda for a good six months or so before I really started to follow it completely. And, you know, I'd do things and I would know that it wasn't good for me. And so I could really come to terms with the feeling of unworthiness that was kind of a resistance I had to healthy living. And it was a process, you know. I had to identify it. I had to see it, look at it, and then really just practice letting it go and, and understanding that, you know, because the sun is a symbol of my true self, there's no need to feel all these things. Like, I have everything within me. The more I heard that, the more I I started to believe it and, and I started to understand it. And then I could start to separate where, you know, there was some guilt because I wasn't following through with what I had learned. And then that guilt actually was helpful to, to channel into starting to act more for my own good. Hmm. Beautiful. And how did it, Feel once you started learning how to listen to your true nature? Well, that's where, 
I think the joy comes in. That's where, like, I often will just feel satisfied for no particular reason, you know? Like, things can actually be going very different from what has been planned or ideal or desired. And I think the more I recognize that so many things in our lives are just coming and going, they're just passing, they're not, you know, they're not meant to be clung to, you know, but, but to really practice letting go of my own attachment things that are just coming and going, I think it's just given me this incredible freedom where I can laugh at things even that would have really bothered me, you know, or hmm. like gotten frustrated about or, you know, upset or maybe even like started crying about in the past. Now I'm just like, okay, you know, it's okay. Like, like these things are coming and going. Only the, the soul, you know, within me is real. So let me really try to hold on to that and, and let go of all these other things that are, are coming and going. Because the root cause of suffering, you know, which Ayurveda teaches us, is something called ragaha in Sanskrit, and it means attachment. So, you know, when I practice um, the, the pose that looks like tree pose, but you don't, go, you don't put your arms all the way up, you keep them at your heart, it's named after a sage named Dhruv, Dhruva, and he was a king, actually, in the place where he lived, and his stepmother decided that she wanted her son to be king instead, so he was sent into the woods, you know, and, and not given his right to be the king of, of his kingdom. So many years had then passed, and somehow he got invited back to, to you know, have what was actually his, to, to be able to have that throne. And it was interesting because he said, I don't want that. You know, I, I want to connect with something bigger, which is the the inner kingdom. And that's mm-hmm. where, you know, the inner power comes in from, I think, whenever we can let go or have the power or the willingness to be able to walk away from something that's not serving us or even something that we may have wanted but we don't really need. I think that has been incredibly liberating. Like there is something more than everything that we see. And the more we connect with that, the more it's like, wow, there's there's so much opportunity for really being uh, liberated in the moment and just feeling, you know, this sense of contentment for no particular cause, but just because that's our our true state. Mm. And when in harmony, uh, that true state uh, that exists at all times, can you explain to the listeners uh, the effortlessness of your life in particular that you've noticed in contrast to how it was before uh, you fully uh, embodied what you have written about? Well, yeah, you know, I think definitely there is much more of a sense of surrender, there's much more of a connection for me with this intention that may my hands be put in service of the greater good. So it's not so much about what I want, but how I can really be the most beneficial to the world around me. It's, it's actually amazing because in Ayurveda, the definition of the science is that it teaches us to differentiate between those actions which give us joy and sorrow. 
And it says that the actions that give you joy are those that benefit not only you, but also society, people around you. So it's, it's really about compassion, I think, like developing more compassion for myself, living a compassionate lifestyle. And then the more I love myself, I think the more it's, it's more effortless to extend that love and that compassion to others and to really live in harmony with, with my surroundings and with the animals and the plants and the world around me. And to feel that kind of interconnectedness, I think that that is really amazing. And, you know, I don't want to claim that I'm, uh, like, completely, you know, there. Like, I'm always still trying to live in greater and greater alignment and harmony with all of these practices and always trying to go deeper into them and, and kind of expanding how much I can really with this knowledge because, it's a, a knowledge that comes over, you know, many, many um, lifetimes, I think, of study and practice and learning. And there's always so much more to learn. And I find that really inspiring. Hmm. Wonderful. And with that being said, uh, having uh, spent my own time in coursework in Ayurveda, and I would love for you to re- share your reflection on this, and it's something I've contemplated a lot, these teachings come from the East, no different than Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, yogic science. Uh, yoga is obviously integrated into Ayurvedic science. If you can share a little bit on how you feel it's meeting actually a whole other continent, uh, being that the plants and the botany, even with Chinese medicine, I find it interesting. It's like all of a sudden we have all these different roots and herbs that don't even grow here. Uh, and where maybe you've found the crossover or how uh, it has adapted and changed to meet the moment we are in right now. It's very true that a lot of the the herbs and the plants and, and things are written about from the text based on the geography in which they were. But we also like to, you know, look at the qualities of different kinds of foods, especially and herbs and spices that grow here in the United States or in any place. And once, you know, you can apply an Ayurvedic understanding to them by examining their qualities, whether they have a heating or a cooling effect, whether they have, you know, certain taste and what their after effect is, then you can really, you know, analyze them with a similar understanding from Ayurveda and be able to use them. So, you know, in Ayurveda, we actually believe that anything can be a medicine. You know, in this whole world, anything can actually be a medicine. It just depends on the context in which it's used, how much, how often, by whom, and in what condition. So, so I think that's also quite an inspiring idea. Hmm. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so wh- why don't we give the listeners, because we've been talking very broad brushstrokes of Ayurveda, uh, if you can just share with them the basic doshas that uh, are running through us and also running through the seasons, and maybe just give a quick example of how you would notice if one was out of balance or um, in balance. The three doshas, they're like bioforces, and they're made up of the five great elements. So we have Space, which is the subtlest, air, fire, water, and earth. 
And nowadays, modern scientists are also starting to recognize the presence of five great elements, you know, beyond the, what they have first discovered. Now they're, they're recognizing a thermal energy in the form of fire and a potential state, which is represented by, by space. So in Ayurveda, these five elements combine air and space to form vata dosha, fire and water create pitta dosha, and earth and water make up kapha. So vata dosha, being made of air and space, is responsible for all movements in the body. And you'll know that it's in a balanced state because it gives you visionary creativity, you know, the qualities of an entrepreneur along with literal and figurative flexibility. When it's out of balance, you'll feel a lot of anxiety, racing thoughts, and pain is actually the number one indicator that there's a lot of vata in the body. It is dominant in the universe in the summertime. So wherever the summer falls for you month-wise, that would be the time when vata dosha is increased. So for us in the United States, it would be dominant from mid-May through about mid-September. So that's the time when you want to really, you know, take care to not have to move so much because being more stable, practicing meditation, breathing exercises, all of these things will really help to keep you in balance with the the natural movement of the, the air and space during the summer. Then in the fall, fire and water um, create pitta dosha, and this is active in the universe at that time. Pitta dosha in balance gives you the ability to be like a CEO and an amazing leader, make difficult decisions and do great analysis. When it's out of balance, there'll be a lot of burning in the body and heat, inflammation. So in the fall season, you know, it's a great time to start up new ventures because you have all that um, ability to think sharply during that time. And we actually have some of the festivals connected with the Ayurvedic tradition, which happen in the fall, which are all about, you know, being the best time for launching your venture and, and things like that with, um, with the different festivals that we celebrate. In the fall, we also actually have a celebration on the full moon night. It's the fullest moon of the year, and it's called Sharad Purnima. So on that night, the moon is said to be so strong that if you sit under the moonlight, it will really do wonders to calm and balance your pitta dosha throughout the year. So that's really lovely. The winter is the best season of all because none of the doshas are really activated and nothing much is building up at that time. So this is a great time to eat, drink, and be merry. You know, this is the best Mm. time to travel. It's the best time to exercise, to create a baby if you want to, to, you know, eat the hearty meals at holiday seasons and to really just have a great time. Because then in the spring, which is the season we're in now, the, the kapha dosha becomes increased. So kapha dosha being made of earth and water, you can see in the atmosphere and in, in the grass and the moisture and juiciness of, of everything that's growing and, you know, the rain that comes in the springtime, all of this is connected with the kapha dosha. And when it's in balance, it's the best actually of all because it gives us strong tissues, really great health and perseverance 
stamina and, you know, nurturing qualities. When it's out of bounds, though, then, you know, water retention can be an issue since it is made of the water element. Obesity, diabetes, you know, these are some of the things that could be there with too much of that show. I've observed this in people I've worked with and at different locations that uh, teach Ayurveda is sometimes people want to identify with one dosha. If you can also share with the listener uh, about how we might have a predominant area of imbalance potentially, um, but how important in, from your mind, if, if not, or you can disagree with me, it is to consider that, you know, all the elements and to learn to listen to all the elements, not just be attached to one dosha. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely a common misconception. And I think there's a lot of stuff out there that gives you quizzes on evaluating what your dosha is and and things like that, which are confusing because doshas and being able to assess the state that they're in was always meant to be domain knowledge for doctors to be able to help patients to heal. It wasn't meant for people to self-diagnose. So it's important to, you know, actually just follow the practices that are in the whole sub-branch of Ayurveda called Vasa-Vritta, which means, you know, Vritta is like the, the patterns or the habits that bring about Vasa, which is health. So it's an entire sub-branch of Ayurveda, and that's what this book actually explores, like all those practices you can do to build your health and to maintain your health without having to even know necessarily what your doshas are or to try to identify with them or even try to fix them yourself. This is really about living in harmony with the days and the seasons. And if Mm. you do that, then, you know, all the doshas naturally start to come into a state of balance. And if not, then, you know, you, you may want to work with a practitioner. And when you do that, it's actually more important to, work with what's out of balance in the body than to even look at what your true constitution may be. And it's usually often not just one thing that you're dominant in. A lot of us have a combination of, of the different doshas and elements in the body. We actually all have all three, but we have them in different proportions. So that's also important to think about. Yes, aho. Hmm. So Anata... It, it, one, I would love for you to share, uh, one, your website, the book name, and when it's going to be available and where. But before you do that, I want you to share with the listener what the, when, the one thing that, if there is one, that you're most excited to share from this book that you created. And maybe it was your own self-discovery or something that you feel is just uh, so uh, important and pivotal to engage people in a way of living that can support harmony. So you want me to pick one practice? (laughs) The one that excites you the most. (laughs) Maybe that you haven't mentioned. Maybe it might be number two or three, but, you know. (laughs) Wow. So I would say... You know, I would actually say eating warm versus cold food would be a really important practice because this one simple shift you can do regardless of whether you cook or not. And 
we imagine the digestion as being like a fire in the body. So when you eat foods that are warm and you drink drinks that are, are warm instead of cold, because of the laws of physics, the heat expands and the cold constricts. So the, the warmth allows the food and the drinks to get transported by your body to where they need to go to become nutrients that your body can really use. And, you know, whatever gets constricted starts to build up and create problems for you at all levels, you know, physically, mentally, and, and otherwise. So it's really important to, I think, keep your digestion optimal for overall health. And I would say the best thing for that, especially for people who are starting, is by eating warm food. Beautiful. And then if you can share uh, with the listeners your website, I find it's good for you to orate that, and uh, where your book will be distributed from. Sure. So my website is wholeyoga-ayurveda.com. So whole is W-H-O-L-E, yoga, dash, ayurveda, A-Y-U-R-V, eda.com and the book is called The Ayurveda Way 108 Practices from the World's Oldest Healing System for Better Sleep, Less Stress, Optimal Digestion, and More. It's available now and you can get it anywhere from any bookstore that you like. Hmm. Wonderful. And where are you going to start your tour? Uh, to promote your book? That's a great question. You know, (laughs) my tour, in some sense, has already started, actually. I had given my first book talk at the Sedona Yoga Festival in March before the book even had come out. I had just a few advanced copies there, and then I had kicked off my tour here in the San Francisco Bay Area at San Francisco State University with some students in the for Holistic Health, and then I had an event at Book Passage, which is a store in Corte Madera, because originally my book was supposed to come out on April 4th, and Mm. so I had started to to do my events and plan them out for that time, and then they're just continuing now, so tomorrow I'm going to New York, and I I will be in New York for for some time, and then, you know, just continuing to travel to to different places throughout the year. So if you wanted to check out the schedule, it's on my website. You just go to events, and you can see the full tour listed there. Beautiful. And we'll put all those links below, too, for you. So, Anatta, I would like to thank you for sharing your time, your wisdom, your creativity, and congratulate you on your great work. We look forward to following uh, you into your next book. Thank you so much, Suzanne. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Once again, I want to thank Anatta for joining us today. Please connect to her work below. The links to her website and the book are listed. Until next time, we're going to sign out with a little Xavier Rudd, Follow the Sun. As a practice, if you're so inspired, you might take a moment to notice it at the sunrise and the sunset. Without further ado, you can just take a deep breath in and be for a few moments. Until next time, this is she signing out with a full heart, a soft gaze, a deep bow, and a namaste. Be simply.
the sun And which way the wind blows When this day is done your intentions dream with care tomorrow's a new day for everyone a brand new moon and brand new sun Stay is done. 